The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. The reading is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. Please stand with me as I read God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce you to this guy right here. Uh, this is Brady Reader. We're starting a new little three-part sermon series that we always do. Just the regular rhythm of Delta Life is at the beginning of the year, we hit pause and we cover it. In the past, it's been two topics, uh, the importance of prayer and then the sanctity of life. This year, we're going to be introducing a new rhythm in, just talking about our need to be devoted to the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. I've asked this brother to come and cover today, which is this idea of prayer. Um, Now, if there was ever a phrase, uh, if ever the phrase, brother from another mother, applied, it would be between me and this guy here. You have no clue how uncanny how uncannily similar our lives are. Um, And I think God has given me a sweet, dear friend. I love this man. Um, I love him dearly. Um, He challenges me in Christ. Um, I see him growing and maturing into the full stature of Christ. Not only is he growing and becoming a gifted biblical counselor, but he is growing as a man who can preach the word of God. And I'm excited that you guys get the opportunity to hear him expose us and get us wet with the word of God this morning. And so what I'm going to do is pray and ask the spirit to drench him as he preaches to us from Ephesians chapter one this morning. Okay. Father, I'm asking you to continue what you have already started this morning, which is pouring out your spirit on us. Father, worship this morning in song was worship. My soul was challenged and lifted and conformed. And worship time's not done. Now all we're going to do is just transition from worship and song to worship through the word. So I'm asking, Lord Jesus, would you please rip the heavens open and drench my brother with the spirit and fill him and use him as an instrument in your hand. Set him aside Would you cause our hearts to burn within us as he exposes us to the word of God from 
Ephesians chapter 1, so that we may leave here today saying, God has met with us through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the letter to the Ephesians. Lord Jesus, we are weak. You are strong. We need you. It's in your name, King Jesus, I pray. Amen. Good morning, guys. It's good to see you. If you're visiting uh, with us for the first time, welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. Uh, So normally the routine here at Delta, we preach through entire books of the Bible. So if you were to come on any given Sunday, that's, that's what you would be experiencing normally. If you would come, Pastor John would be up here. We'd just be working through the next section of whatever book. Uh, that we're working through at the time. But as he said, at the top of the year, we set aside two or three Sundays just to focus on some issues that we feel are, are very crucial to the life and health of our church here at Delta. This is one of those Sundays, as he said, we're talking about prayer. Most, most specifically, we're looking at a prayer of the Apostle Paul's found in the book of Ephesians. And uh, But before we get to our text. If, if you follow the news at all, you may remember a story that was released, I think somewhere about the middle of last month, about a letter that came out that was written by a persecuted Chinese pastor. And uh, unfortunately, this past year, especially in 2018, persecution of Christians has been ramping up again in China. And this pastor being aware of this threat uh, in the fall of last year, so 2018, he wrote a letter entitled A Declaration of Faithful disobedience, a declaration of faithful disobedience, meaning that sometimes obeying Christ means that we have to disobey those in authority sometimes. So he wrote this letter, he gave it to his congregation with the instructions that if he were to be detained more than 48 hours, they were to publish this letter. That's what happened. They released the letter, it was all over the media, a lot of uh, ministries were sharing it, maybe you've seen it. Uh, last month. Uh, If you've not read it, I highly encourage you, go to the Gospel Coalition's website, check it out. It's a powerfully stirring letter. And I want to read just, uh, as we lead into our text, I want to read just a couple paragraphs from his letter. Now keep in mind, when he wrote this, he was completely unsure what the future held for him. He had no idea what would be happening as he continued in faithful obedience to Christ and disobedience to his government. He opens the letter this way, on the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings, raises up kings, and this is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. Further down, if God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment and through this make them know Jesus, then I joyfully and willingly submit to God's plans. For his plans are always benevolent and good. Further down, he says, those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, The Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom. Listen, that I might take the gospel to them. 
Separate me, he says, from my wife, my children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life, my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. That's just a small glimpse of the letter that he wrote. I don't know about you, but when you hear something like that, one of the things I automatically think of is like, how would I respond if I were in that situation? Like maybe you're thinking, man, I even struggle to open my mouth to share the gospel with my neighbor or my coworker or my family member. I struggle with doubting God just when I hit hard times. There's no way I could have faith like that in that situation. And see, the thing we have to be aware of, uh, when we hear stories like this, we can easily get sucked into thinking in terms of the size of our faith is what matters. But it's not about the size of our faith, it's about the object of our faith. This entire letter, if you go read it, is filled with what this pastor knows to be true about God. So his, this pastor has great faith, not because of some super ability that he has in and of himself. This pastor has great faith because of the truths he knows about his great God that he serves. See, strong faith comes from knowing God more and more, deeper and deeper. And thankfully, in this country, at least yet, we don't know the persecution from our government like so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ do throughout the world, but maybe your workplace or maybe your own family or the trial or the season of life that you're in right now makes you feel like a stranger or an exile or an alien in a dark, hostile world. And out of all the things you may think you need in your situation, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul says that the thing that the Christian needs most in a dark, hostile world is to know God more. To know God deeper. See, I have good news for you this morning. If you're a Christian, this is possible. (laughs) Firm, grounded faith in whatever situation you may be is possible for you. You can know God more. You can know God deeper. Why is this? Because we have the Word of God, the truths of God, and we have the Spirit of God living within us, the very one who illuminates the truths of God to our hearts and to our minds. And so our response, we study the truths of God And we pray for the Spirit to teach our hearts and our minds. This leads us to our main idea for today. The Spirit of God teaches our hearts the truths of God when we pray. The Spirit of God teaches our hearts the truths of God when we pray. That was a really good chance the believers in Ephesus most likely felt like aliens and strangers in their city. We know from the book of Acts, Ephesus was a city filled with the dark arts and uh, idol worship. It was the home of the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis. Many of the Ephesian believers, the ones who would have been reading this, were heavily involved 
in this stuff themselves prior to their salvation. So a city and a way of life that they once called home was now completely opposed to the gospel and to the God that had saved them. And so this letter, Ephesians, that Paul wrote, most likely a circular letter, meaning that Ephesus was not the only place that this letter was read. It was passed around to other churches. This letter is filled with, I mean, absolutely crucial truths about God, salvation, a believer's identity and union in Christ. So that makes up like the first half of the letter. It's heavy on doctrine. The last half of the letter is heavy on application, so how that union in Christ should now be lived out in the everyday life. So as we turn to our text this morning, <clears throat> Paul has just completed really, <laughs> if you will, a, a world-class theology course for them in the first 14 verses. Okay, And he's just unloading these glorious truths on them of God's sovereign work in the Ephesian salvation. And then it's almost like he hits pause in his formal teaching and enters into this formal personal section where he, uh, personal section where he informs them that they are frequently on his heart and on his mind in prayer. And he prays because he wants them to see what they really have. He wants them to see with their heart what he's been writing about. Because he knows if they were to see and know these truths about God in their hearts, it would completely transform their life. Look at verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, <clears throat> I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So what's the reason Paul's talking about? The reason is because something he's heard about them. Namely, their faith in the Lord Jesus. That's important to know. A lot of people have faith. But this is true faith, faith in the Lord Jesus. He's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. If we back up into verse 13, you'll see that they heard the word of truth, the gospel. They believed in him. They placed their faith in this Jesus that the gospel told them about. And then their genuine conversion was being evidenced by their love for one another. Their love towards all the saints. Sorry, I don't know if I'm doing that or not. And see, the, the Bible is clear. Genuine conversion produces genuine fruit. Genuine conversion produces genuine fruit. And I think this is exactly why hearing this news caused him to continuously give thanks to God. He could see the sovereign, saving work of God in their lives. Paul knows the miracle that has taken place. I mean, he's just been writing about it in the first 14 verses. He knows these things were true about them. They were redeemed, forgiven by the blood of Christ, verse 7. He knew that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, verse 13. That meant that they stood holy and blameless before God, verse 4. And setting really what is a, a beautiful example for us to follow He's encouraged by what he sees, and he thanks God. And notice, he's not being silent about it, like he's telling them. He's telling them, I see what God's doing in you, and I'm thankful for it. I'm rejoicing, thanking God for what he is doing in your life. But the thing is, he doesn't stop there. Not only is he continually giving thanks for them, he has a very specific prayer request that he's praying for them. 
And the reason is because he knows their Christian journey has only just begun. Here's what I mean. Skip over with me to chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Paul, in this section, he's talking about all the different gifts that God gives to his church. And it's all for the purpose of achieving this ultimate goal. All right? Chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here it is. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the ultimate goal God has for the church. Christ-like maturity. Full unity of the faith. Full knowledge of the Son of God. Full reflections of Jesus Christ. And please hear me right now. God does not expect us to be perfect. It's not what he's saying. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But God does expect us to be growing. To be maturing to be growing more and more like Christ in our lives. And the good news is he's provided all the tools that we need to do this in his word and in his spirit and then the many gifts that he gives to the church. So Paul, knowing what the end goal is, he knows they haven't even scratched the surface yet of the knowledge and the riches of the knowledge of God. And so he prays. We see in verse 17 what he prays for, that the Spirit of God would give them a deeper and deeper understanding and wisdom in the knowledge of God. And he's not just talking about theological head facts to memorize. He's praying that the eyes of their hearts be opened, illuminated to the knowledge of God. He wants the truths of God to go into the very core of who they are, their heart. See, the heart, according to the Bible... That's, that's, that is the core of a person. Our mind, our will, our emotions, that's our heart. Okay? So everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, the Bible says, comes from the heart. Right? So think about this. If the Spirit transforms the heart by the truths of God, guess what happens on the outside? You start to begin to see change. You, you start to see maturing towards Christ-likeness. Paul knows that his teaching is not enough. His teaching alone is not enough. He knows that only the Spirit can take the truths of God and plug them into the hearts of his readers, and then, and only then, will they know the glorious realities that are theirs in Christ. And I'll just briefly mention something that struck me while studying. When one reads verse 15... The church in Ephesus, they seem pretty healthy, right? Like they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're showing love towards all the saints. How many of you would think that's, that sounds like a pretty healthy church, doesn't it? And yet, they are unceasingly being prayed for by the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know about you, I couldn't help but think and reflect on how little <laughs> that's true in my prayer life. How often is someone who seems to be producing really good fruit being unceasingly prayed for by us. It's normally the exact opposite, right? Which is fine. But I think we need to see this example that Paul sets for us as well. Anyway, so Paul prays that the Spirit of God would teach them three truths. All right? 
Number one, he wants them to see that believers have true, lasting hope. Believers have true, lasting hope. That's the first half of verse 18. So he prays that the Spirit would help them to know the hope to which they've been called. I don't know if you know this or not, Christians are the only people on the face of this planet who have real, lasting hope. And there is one singular reason for that, and his name is Jesus Christ. Because the Bible's very clear, being without Christ equals no hope. Like the Bible specifically says that. Listen to the hopelessness of being without Christ, even within this own book that Paul writes. This is in chapter 2. We were dead in the trespasses and sins. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath. That's the wrath of God, by the way. Further down, he says, we were separated from the love of Christ because of our sins. And because we were separated, he says this, having no hope and without God in the world. But then the good news, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. That is the good news of the gospel. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So believers have true lasting hope because we have gone from being dead and enslaved in our sin to being made alive, set free, forgiven by the blood of Christ. We've gone from awaiting eternal wrath of God to awaiting eternal joy with God. Quite literally, we have true lasting joy because Believers have gone from being a heartbeat away from hell to now being a heartbeat away from heaven. Friends, that is good news. I love how one commentator put it. We have hope, quite simply, because the earth is the Lord's and we're his forever. (laughs) That's the hope of the gospel. The universe is not random. We are never abandoned. Our God is just and gracious, sovereign, and saving. So, why is this so important to the Apostle Paul? Why does he want them to know this? I think it's because of this. We're not home yet. We are not home yet. And because of that, our hope is so easily attached to things that we see down here. Our hope can become so easily attached to the situations, the circumstances of life, But that should not be the case for a Christian because the Christian is called to view the present in light of the truths of eternity. See, the hope Paul's talking about here, this is not some kind of wishful thinking. This is not the kind of hope that we so often talk about down here. You know, just kind of some fluctuating feeling based off of something that, well, we hope, we, I sure wish this will be the case, but I'm not really sure Like, there's no uncertainty in Paul's mind here when he's talking about hope. What he's talking about here when he says the word hope is a reality, this is crucial, is a reality that they have not yet fully experienced. That is Christian hope, a reality that has not yet been fully experienced. And my iPad just completely froze on me. There we go. So the truths about God 
that we find in his word, they are reality. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. I don't care what the world says. They are reality because they come from the God who cannot lie. They come from the God who works all things according to his purposes. So that means no matter what life looks like, no matter how evil or hostile a world you live in or you work in, no matter how much you see your own faults and failures, and we all do, no matter how much you think there's a disconnect between what you see down here and what God says in his word, we must seek to remember the hope to which we've been called. Because there is a heavenly reality that we have not experienced yet. And we're able to do this more and more as we continually, guess what? Pray for the Spirit to teach our heart the truths of God. I don't know what situations, circumstances you may be facing this morning. Maybe you're really struggling to see how the hope of Christ impacts your situation. My encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Would you find someone to talk to? Like, be honest. Tell them what you're going through and say, like, man, I, I just really am having a hard time seeing how the hope of Christ impacts my situation. Reach out to someone. Get help. Find the truth of God that your heart needs, and then you pray like crazy that the Spirit would jackhammer that truth deep into your heart and into your soul. Because if you are a believer this morning, I promise you there is hope. There is hope. And I'm talking about true, lasting hope. And it's all because of Christ. Go read Romans 8, jam-packed, full of hope. Read it, and you pray like fury that the Spirit would open your eyes to that reality. The first 14 verses of this chapter, jam-packed, full of hope for the Christian. Read it and pray like fire that the Spirit would open your eyes of your heart to that reality. Christian, we can't stress this enough. Because of the work of Christ, that means there are no hopeless situations for the believer. Rather, there are only difficult situations with purpose. There are no hopeless situations for the Christian. I love this passage in 1 Peter 1. And I want you to listen carefully for that idea, the reality that's not yet fully experienced, okay? 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, listen, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, in this you rejoice. In that guaranteed reality of the hope of heaven, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And then he goes on to talk about what the purpose of those trials are, to test the genuineness of our faith. 
Believers keep their eyes on the hope to which they've been called when they seek to view life down here through the truths of eternity in heaven. And we can pray for the Spirit's help. (laughs) We do not have to do this on our own. We can pray, we can pray, we can pray constantly. Spirit, open my eyes to this reality. What fuels our hope even more is knowing that believers are God's inheritance. That's the second truth he prays for. Believers are God's inheritance. That's the last half of verse 18. Think about this. How crazy is that? (laughs) If you're a Christian this morning, God views you as his inheritance not because of anything we've done or any inherent worth of our own. It's all because of Christ. It's all because of his complete and finished work and because God, out of the gracious, scandalous love of his goodwill, chose to do this. And this isn't even to speak of the inheritance that we have waiting because of Christ. Some commentators actually debate here Like what Paul's talking about, is he talking about our inheritance in him or his inheritance in us? And here, frankly, I believe it's the latter. He's talking about God's inheritance in us, but really, it's two sides of the same coin, right? The Bible talks about both realities as being true. I mean, Paul talks about our inheritance just a couple verses above in verse 11. I just read about our inheritance in 1 Peter that's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. But we're also God's inheritance. We just finished the book of Malachi. Maybe some of you will remember this, chapter 3, 17. Speaking of those who fear the Lord, God says this, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. What Paul is saying here is that God, who owns everything, who creates everything, God who is self-sustaining, who's omnipotent, omniscient, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The God who needs nothing looks at believers and says, you are my inheritance. You are my treasured possession. Now again, we need to ask, why does Paul want them to know this? And if you remember at the beginning, I said Ephesus was a dark place filled with black magic, the occult, idol worship, all kinds of stuff. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 19, which is a crazy cool chapter, (laughs) by the way, crazy cool stuff going on in that chapter. Read Acts chapter 19, and you'll read that God was doing some incredible things through Paul, just crazy cool stuff. And through those events there in Ephesus, God saved many people. All right, and in verse 18, we read, many of those who were new believers came confessing and divulging their practices And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, to get some kind of idea, in our day and age, how much 50,000 pieces of silver, a silver, piece of silver to them was most likely a, a drachma, I think. I don't have Hubert up here to tell me if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Most likely a drachma. A drachma was a day's wage for them. 50,000 days wages. The ESV study Bible estimates in today's currency $6 million. $6 million they just lit on fire. The Spirit had opened their eyes to the value and the supreme worth of Christ so much that they were willing to set their entire livelihoods on fire. Like for many of them, that was their source of income. That was their investment. That was their livelihood. But Jesus changed them. They seen the evil of it, and they're like, forget it. We'll set this sucker on fire. We'll burn it down. And Paul wants them to know that not only Jesus and the hope of heaven is their inheritance, but that they are God's inheritance. Now think of the peace of mind and security that that should bring a believer. A believer who has forsaken everything to follow Christ. We've all been there and then you're wondering like, I don't know if that was such a good idea. Like, is God really worth this? Paul's like, you need to know something. You are God's inheritance. That should anchor your heart and soul, no matter what you see, no matter what you think, in security. And the reason is, do you think there's anyone or anything that can rob God of his inheritance? God purchased believers with the sacrifice of his own son to redeem us, to purify us. No one is robbing God of his investment. No one. We are guarded by God himself. This is crazy to think about. I just read it in 1 Peter. We are being guarded by God's power until the day of redemption. When I was studying this, I couldn't help but think a song we so often sing here, He Will Hold Me Fast. The last verse, For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. The chorus, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Christian, you are God's inheritance, and no one is robbing God of his inheritance. And we need to know that because following Christ down here can come at a great cost. Some of you know that better than others. And we do need to know that no earthly sacrifice compares to the inheritance that we have in Christ and the value and the worth of Christ. But at the same time, we need to know while living in a broken world where we can experience all kinds of hostility, 
pain, heartache, discouragement, disaster, you need to know God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. Why? Because you're in his inheritance. You are bought and paid for by the sacrifice of his son. So that means there's a purpose to whatever you're going through right now, and there's always a purpose to the refiner's fire. Always. What is it? To purify and refine. So look at it this way, Christian. What you're going through right now is just God purifying his treasured possession, purifying his inheritance. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> Man, how we need to pray for the Spirit to open our eyes to this reality. We need the Spirit's help to open our eyes. I mean, we can read through this every morning and it go right over our heads. Like we need the Spirit's help. And by the way, <clears throat> we don't really have time to go into this, but think about this. That fellow brother or sister who just kind of rubs you the wrong way, who thinks differently than you, who always seems to head, butt heads with you, guess what? They're God's inheritance too. They are God's inheritance. So are we letting that truth dictate how we look at them? Are we seeing only what we don't like or are we seeing what God says is true about them and allowing that to dictate how we think, how we talk, how we act? The last truth, Paul prays for the Spirit to open their eyes is the truth that believers have an all-powerful God. Believers have an all-powerful God. And I love this because you can kind of sense Paul getting amped up while he's writing. Like, he keeps going on this for a while, right? Like, this isn't just a couple words. Like, he's like, let me tell you something here. And he just keeps on going. Because this is otherworldly power. Like, this is God's power that he's talking about. Power that is so powerful, there's no standard to measure it against. It's immeasurable. It's God's power. And how true is it that we need to hear of God's immeasurable power? Because we are immeasurably weak people. Praise God for the sovereignty in helping Charles pick out the liturgy. Man, that prayer of confession ties in perfectly with this. There's not a day that goes by that we don't see and feel our weakness. We get hungry. We get tired. We get old. We get sick. We're forgetful. Our bodies break down. We're surrounded by death, brokenness. We easily give in to sin and temptation. We know what it is to experience anxiety and fear and depression. We are weak people. And we're surrounded by weakness. But in the midst of our weakness, while we are waiting for our biblical hope, 
To be fully realized, we need to know something. Even in our weakness, God's immeasurably great power is toward us (laughs) who believe. That means God's got the power to get you to the hope that he's called you to. That means God's got the power to get you from wherever you're at right now to that guaranteed reality that he's promised for you. Well, just how immeasurably great is this power? Paul says it's the kind of power that was demonstrated in the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus. Paul's like, let me tell you for a minute. There's only one example that you need to see proof of God's great power, and that is Jesus Christ. Only one example that you need. There is no greater display of God's power than the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Hear this. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to display his immeasurably great power by completely defeating the two enemies that we are powerless against, sin and death. Hopefully that will be up there behind the, in a minute for the, on the screen back there. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to display his immeasurably great power by completely defeating the two enemies that we are powerless against, sin and death. Think about it. What's our greatest physical enemy that we are absolutely powerless against? It's death. No one can avoid it. How do we know this? Well, because one out of one die. No one has ever reversed death. But God's immeasurably great power crushed death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So believers no longer have to fear death because now we know it's just the entrance into eternal life. And when Jesus comes back, our earthly body that's been buried in the ground and decomposed will be resurrected and be made new. What's our proof? Our living Savior, King Jesus. Some of you are like, man, I can't wait till I get a new body. What's our great spiritual enemy that we're absolutely powerless against? Sin? Evil? Satan? How do we know this? Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. John 8.34, Jesus says everyone who commits a, sl- a sin is enslaved to sin. So in other words, we aren't defeating anything that's already spiritually killed us and enslaved us. That's not going to happen. But God, his immeasurably great power, crushed sin and Satan in the ascension of Jesus Christ because the ascension is kind of like a stamp of approval, if you will, on Jesus' work on the earth. That's God's stamp of approval that what he did is sufficient. It's done. It's completed. He lived a perfect, sinless life in the flesh 
Sinless life, perfect obedience to God. He died a substitutionary death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, satisfying the wrath of God. And now God has seated him, Paul says, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Christian, this means we are no longer enslaved to sin. We now have the power in Christ to not sin. We need to know this. Too quick out of our mouths is, well, it's just the way that I am. No, no, no. That's not true for the believer. Believers have been born again. That's the old man. You now have the power in Christ through the Spirit to crucify the flesh. And you know what? However many times we need to crucify the desires of the flesh... God's got power that we could never exhaust. We could cry out to him multiple times a day. God's like, I got it. Just pray for it. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. I have all the power that you need to trust, to obey, to crucify the flesh. This also means that there's no earthly title, no supernatural authority that we need to fear. And you notice Paul kind of covers the gamut here, right? (laughs) Political rule, physical might, spiritual forces. Paul's like, listen, Jesus, he rules them all. Matter of fact, I love this. He's so far above them, Paul's like, he's under his feet. Like Jesus is so far above any authority, any position, any title, that we could fear, like he's so far above them, they're under his feet. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Christians, we need to know this in our hearts. We need the Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts to grasp this reality because whatever you're facing in life right now, When you walk out those doors or when you wake up every morning, our two greatest enemies have been defeated by King Jesus. And he's not a dead King Jesus. He's a living King Jesus. Not only that, Paul's like, oh, by the way, he rules everything. So peace and rest in your situation, whatever it may be, is found not in that situation changing or God removing that situation, which it's fine to pray that he does, but peace and rest is found in knowing more and more the truths of our death-reversing, cosmos-ruling God who controls all things. That is where peace and rest is to be found. It may be hell and high water down here. The Christian can have peace and rest. Because I know my greatest enemies, they're defeated. I belong to Jesus. My Jesus is living. And by the way, he's in control of everything. And all this is temporary. 
all this is temporary. May the Spirit explode our hearts to this reality. Man, we need to know this. May he take this reality, drive it deep into our hearts and our minds, and then we can sing. I'm going to read this passage again. We can sing. Our hearts can continually sing this passage with 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So no matter what's on your plate this morning, Paul says, in this you rejoice. Or Peter, excuse me, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So in closing, I just want to say this. I am thankful for the faith in Jesus Christ that I see here at Delta. I am thankful for the love toward all the saints that is so apparent when you walk in those doors. That's one of the first things we noticed when we got here in 2013. I've heard the same testimony from many of you. When we come in back there, there's something different in here. Friends, we ought to praise God for that. That has nothing to do with us. That has everything to do with the Spirit of God opening the eyes of our hearts to the truths of God. I am thankful for these things, but don't you long to be a church where the Spirit is continually awaking our hearts more and more and more to these realities? Because I do. I long to be a part of a church like that. As I was studying this text, my heart longed to see the family here at Delta through the Spirit's power continually knowing more knowing more, going deeper into the truths of God's word, knowing more about their real lasting hope, that they are God's inheritance and that their God is an all-powerful God. So my question to you is simply this. As we start this new year, would you commit to joining me in prayer? Would you commit to praying this prayer for yourself for your spouse, for your family, for your church family, for your elders? Would you commit to joining me in praying this for our church family? Put it on your phone. Put it in your journal. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Whatever you got to do. There's no more better prayers to pray than Scripture itself. And I believe this is a prayer that God delights to answer. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I simply want you to hear this. 
If your faith is not in Jesus Christ alone, please hear this. Ephesians 2 clearly says, if you are without Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope. All of us are instantly born into this world with no hope because we're sinners. Our hearts are fallen. Our hearts don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength like we should. So if the Spirit is opening your eyes to this reality, would you cry out and ask Jesus to save you? Would you repent of your sin, turn to Christ, and say, you're you're all that I need. You are all that I need. We're going to close this way. I'm going to ask Pastor John to come up. And my request to him last night was simply this, that he would pray this passage over our church. Friends, this is not a one and done prayer. May this prayer be woven into our everyday life. May it be the song and the request, the hunger of our hearts. Here's what we're going to do um, as we just wrap this up and begin the new year with prayer. We, we said this downstairs this morning. If you just want like a crazy, crazy, simple definition of prayer, prayer is the believer saying this, I can't. God, you can. Help. And that's what we're going to do right now. My challenge for you is this. Picture someone in your mind right now in this body of believers. And the Spirit is probably pressing someone on you right now. Maybe it's someone in your community group. Parents, maybe it's your children. Spouse, maybe it's the other spouse. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe it's a community group leader. Maybe it's an elder. Right now, Spirit... Press someone home on your hearts. Then what I want you to do is look down at your Bible. Look at verse 18 at the three what's that Brady just talked about this morning. Paul is praying, I would give anything to see the people who've been redeemed by Christ know the hope they have, the reality that they are God's inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of of God's power. Zoom in on one of those. The person that's in your mind right now, pray for them. According to Scripture, you don't have to get fancy. Just read the Scripture verbatim and articulate God's words back to God, empowered by the Spirit, asking that God would take His Word and drive this spiritual reality home by the power of the Spirit so that the people of God would be changed, okay? We're going to pray for that right now, and then we're going to roll into a time of taking the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Father, we can't. You can help. Father, would you help us this morning? As a body of believers, would you... Help us this morning to recognize the spiritual realities that are ours all 
because of Christ. Father, I pray just for the congregation as a whole this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would open their eyes to see the hope to which they've been called to. Because they've been called by Christ, they have a hope. An immeasurable hope. An infinite hope grounded in the king who resurrected from the dead and was raised again to the newness of life and is now seated at the Father's right hand. A hope that's anchored in him. Him who displayed the immeasurable greatness of God's power because he's defeated the two enemies we could never defeat on our own. God, would you drive home into the hearts of my brothers and sisters this morning the reality that God looks at us and says, my treasured possession, my inheritance. Would you pile drive into the very fibers of our heart and our mind the reality that no one can rob God of his inheritance. And would that be fuel for us to then walk out these doors next week over the next several days and say, my God of immeasurably great power who exercised this power by raising a dead man back to life is my God who saves me and looks at me and calls me his own. And allow that, Father, work that into us so that that becomes the fuel for the way we live, the way we speak, the way we fight sin, the way we repent of sin, the way we walk humbly before our Lord and humbly before others. Lord Jesus, please awaken the saints in this church. Awaken the saints in the churches across this nation. Awaken the saints being persecuted in China. Awaken people to this reality of God's immeasurably great power toward us who believe. God, do these things. Rip the heavens open, come down, do this sovereign work in your people. It's in your great name, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.